Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 346, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We've got a lot to dive into as I've got some Cowboys questions that I want to roll out to you, so we'll get into that. We've got some wild things happening around the world, around the country. And, of course, those Mavs, man. It, it, it's The experiment continues in a small sample size, so a lot to discuss but we always tell you right off the bat about one of our great sponsors, and that's Greening Law. Robert Greening, the green team at Greening Law. I got to tell I was thinking about this this morning, oddly enough, before we started, when I woke up, I was like, man, it, again, it, it's wild to me how, when you, when you get into a car accident that's not your fault, or you're injured on the premises of business or what have you, you know, you can rack up some medical bills in a hurry. Like I had to go to the right. emergency room and I had to have all these tests done they were really concerned about internal bleeding with me because I take blood thinners. And so I had to have probably more tests than you would anticipate. And it was interesting. It's like, okay, so what do you do? Cause insurance gets involved. And then you sit here and go, well, hold on a second. Like really? And, and the fact that you have somebody on your side, like the green team, who's working for you against these insurance companies, the, it, it's almost like magic <laughs> what they can do to help you as you go through this. It's incredible, man. So I would encourage you, if, you've, if you find yourself in that situation, my, like literally tomorrow morning, wake up and call the Green Team. Call Robert Green. The thing about it is you've been talking about it for a long time, just how helpful they are, how they plan appointments, how they set up doctors, how they find the right doctor to, uh, to make sure that you're getting the best treatment possible. And it's really what they say that they do, which is they handle everything so you can, get, uh, you know, so you can rest and recuperate and get ready to uh, carry on with your life. And so that's why we say if you're involved in something like this, the one thing you really need to do before you do anything else is pick up the phone, call the green team and say, hey, here's my situation. What do you guys think? And if they bring you on for a client, well, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It's been a great day um, because then it's just about working with them and having them walk you, guide you through this long, long, long process. It's very true, man. And it's, it's again, the consultation is free. If you think you've got a case, 
Find out. I'm telling you, it is worth your time. So pick up the phone and give Robert Greening and the Green Team a call at 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So I was curious about this because obviously the NFL season has come and gone. It's another year in which we look at the Cowboys and we go, okay, cool. One and done in the playoffs. You win a game, you lose in the divisional round. But it's interesting to me because as we know moving forward, because we are looking at the Eagles going, man, Jalen Hurts is going to be back. They've got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. But when you look at this, I mean, I think we're all aware of this. We haven't seen a repeat winner in the NFC East in 20 years. You look at what, just if we stay in the division right now, before we expand out of that, is Philadelphia a team that you look at next year going, well, I expect them to repeat this and go 13 and four again next year. And you look ahead saying, oh, they're the division winner. I I don't know if I I would say that. I I don't know that we expect is Daniel Jones going to repeat what he did and the Giants are going to have to pay him $40 million a year. Washington is still an afterthought. I I don't know that they're ever going to get anything right, although it sounds like they're about to get out of the Daniel Snyder cloud, and that could change them forever. But, like, right now when I look at this, to me, I I still think the Cowboys in this division, because of the makeup of the NFC East, I I still think they've got a shot as a playoff team next year. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Philadelphia's going 13-3 and again or whatever they were, uh, 14-3. and Uh, I don't think that's going to happen again. One, they'll they'll have a first-place schedule, so they'll play better competition. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts had a career year. He's got to prove that this was not a career year, but the norm and the standard. Um, you know, and then uh, it's hard to do it. I mean, the NFL is built and based and designed on parity. Um, you know, their season went longer. It's going to be a shorter recuperation period than the offseason. They'll be good. I don't think they'll be this good again. And then look at all the bum quarterbacks they got. They were fortunate enough to play this year. So, uh, I mean, I think they'll be in the hunt. I think they'll win double-digit games. But, uh, you know, will they win enough to secure the division again? Uh, I don't know because I think the Cowboys will uh, will do some things. And I think they'll be a, uh, a an improved team as well. Man, it's interesting because you look at this, like the construction of the Eagles – there's a lot of thought that they're going to lose Jason Kelsey. And, and you may say, oh, well, that's okay, because they drafted that dude, Cam Jurgens, like in the second round, who's supposed to plug and play when Kelsey decides to walk away. Brandon Graham is 35 years old. I've been reading that they're probably not bringing him back. Apparently, there's a lot with Fletcher Cox where they'd rather move on from Fletcher Cox. It's a matter of he's a $10 million dead cap hit going into the final year of his contract. Is it worth it just to stick it out with one more year of him? Boston Scott and Miles Sanders, their two main running backs, are un- are UFAs, unrestricted free agents. On defense, they're losing Javon Hargrave, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and James Bradbury. All three of those guys are unrestricted free agents. So you look at this and you go, this is, this is interesting to me because Hertz is going into the final year of his rookie deal. And I wonder what they're going to do with that because you probably would like to get an extension with Hertz, but based on what Hertz has done – can he not point at Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson and go, well, those guys are getting 40 plus million dollars a year. And I've played in the Super Bowl at an MVP level. So I want my 42, 43 million dollars a year. I want my Josh Allen money. Oh, he could absolutely point to that. I mean, that's that's how it works. And then um, especially Dak money, he can say, yeah. Well, yeah, I've won a division. I've gotten to the Super Bowl. He hadn't even gotten to a championship game yet. So, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the question on him will be longevity. So, mm-hmm. you know, he'd have to play this one out because you still have, I mean, teams aren't in any hurry. You know, we can be hurry for cap reasons. We can be hurry because we really like you. But the reality is now because his second round pick, his clock started faster. But I'd let him play out this year on a rookie deal. Um, and if the numbers don't sound right to me, I'd franchise him for a year to make sure that what we're getting is what we're getting. Yeah. And if I need to franchise him a second year, I'd do that too. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking is where, like, if I'm the Eagles, I look at that. Because really, you could look at him right now and say, all right, we've got him for three more years if we want. You're going to play out this year, then we're going to tag you, and then we're going to tag you. And yeah, that may piss you off, but do we really believe that what we've got around you can function and that you're that guy? So I'll be curious to see what they can. I mean, obviously, they're going to go to him. I would imagine you try to work out an extension. The problem is, is it going to be something where they present it and go, look, we don't. That was just one season. Like, we'll go ahead and give you your your four or five year deal. But you're going to have to work with us where he goes. Hell no, I'm not signing that. And they put them in a situation where they dack themselves, where all of a sudden, you know, two years from now, they may be stuck having to pay him a little bit more than they want. And it's interesting because they already signed A.J. Brown to a massive contract extension. Dallas Goddard signed a big contract extension uh, like a year ago or whatever that is. Devontae Smith is going into his third year. So technically you can fifth-year option him and you still have him for three more seasons. But much like how we talk with the Cowboys where you want to sign Diggs and you got Lamb coming, you got Parsons, so do the Eagles. The Eagles got some big pieces coming up and you kind of wonder how will they be able to structure this to try and keep it as similar as possible when and I kind of wonder are they going to run into a situation especially with Devontae Smith where you kind of look at it like the Chiefs did with Tyree Kill and going well we can't have two 25 million dollar wide receivers on this roster yeah I think ultimately that'll become the question but that's still a ways down the road because you still got him for three more years right and by then you may decide that A.J. Brown is the old guy and you don't need him anymore Uh, because he may be closer to 30 in three years uh, you know, I think those are all very legitimate questions. I think the difference is if you're talking about Dallas and you're talking about Philadelphia, uh, I'm going to say it like this. I don't have any doubt Philadelphia's offense, I mean, off front office will make the right moves based no on what they did this year. <laughs> That's true. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, yes. They'll make the right moves. And they have shown, you know, what frustrates Dallas is Dallas fans, I think is that they reach a certain point and they go, well, we're going to continue to shop at the bargain basement bin. Whereas Philadelphia went and got some real ballers, even some like Bradbury, who were like, oh, shoot, they cut him? Okay, fine, let's grab him for a year, see what happens. Uh, And you wish Dallas would do some of that. Like, oh, Bradbury's free, they cut him for a year, we can get him at at a reasonable price? Yeah, he's better than Anthony Brown, let's let's go grab him and have him on the other side of Trayvon Diggs for a year. Yeah. You know, but that's not really how they operate, so... My point is, I think Philly, whatever moves they make, their front office with Howie Roseman is is in such a zone right now that it just feels like that they'll make the best moves. Yeah, and I would agree with you, and I think that's, that is part of the frustration. And, and, and again, like I was just looking at this for A.J. Brown purposes, his contract, it, it, they structured it to time out perfectly, which probably doesn't surprise anybody. He's going to be on the team for the next two years, and then most likely in that final year of Devontae Smith, when they fifth-year option the guy, and they've already worked out an extension, but they can make his final year a low cap hit, 
that's when you've got A.J. Brown really probably for the last year because before his contract hits the last year or two, they can walk away for it from it if they so choose at barely any cost whatsoever, probably about the time that an extension for Devontae Smith would kick in. Ain't none of that a coincidence. None. It's smart. <laughs> it's called looking ahead and understanding how these contracts are coming down the line and what you can do. So we'll see, but it, it is interesting. And I do think the Cowboys, to some degree, I'm not buying into the Giants. I, I guess, you know, Brian Dayball seemed to have caught something this year. Maybe he motivated those guys. I, I don't buy into Daniel Jones. I think they've still got a decision to make. Are you really going to pay Daniel Jones market value for a guy who can get you to the playoffs, which I know this will piss off Cowboys fans. It's $40 million. Yeah, man, I'm trying. Like, uh, Daniel Jones falls in the same category. You need another year to see what he is. Right. And so, yeah, before I invest four years, $160 million, I will pay you one year at $32 million or whatever it yeah. is. And while that is a, I mean, that right there should be generational wealth. You're still, it's still a lot better than 160 million. So I get another year to look and see, see what Dayball thinks. Like, do we really want to hitch our wagon to this guy? Is he really the answer? Because if he's not, you're right. Uh, you're better off uh, just going to get another guy in the first round and keep it moving. Yeah, and and so it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how all this plays out with some of these guys, especially when you just look in the division. We'll see. It's also interesting, I think, when you look around the NFC just as a whole, uh, and you never know because there's always going to be some team that's out there, but we were talking about this after the Super Bowl. I mean, when you look around the league, most of the big young quarterbacks that everybody's excited about, and yes, Jalen Hurts, but he's only done it for the one year, but most of those guys are existing in the AFC. Like, you look yeah. in the NFC, okay, Justin Fields, but he needs a lot of help in Chicago. Will they be able to finally get him that? Outside of that, I mean, people, oh, well, Brock Purdy there in San Francisco. Uh, let's, let's slow down on Brock Purdy. I, 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 I'm still not convinced that the 49ers think that they're going to use him over Trey Lance. Kyler Murray, okay, kick ass. They, they, the Cardinals went 4-13 and 13 this year. So, like, when you look in the NFC, you've got some of these aging quarterbacks. There's really not anybody who jumps out at you where you say, okay, well, watch out for them. You know, you believe in San Francisco because defensively, and, and, and everybody thinks Kyle Shanahan, rightfully so, is this brilliant play caller. But just looking at what we know, and I'm just talking from a quarterback perspective, again, I, you almost kind of look at Dallas like, I mean, okay, Dak, we don't, we don't think he can win the big one. But just in the NFC, he, he's still one of the better quarterbacks in this conference. Dude, he might be. I mean, who's better? Aaron Rodgers is better. Assuming that he stays in this conference and doesn't bolt to the Jets or the Raiders or whatever. Right. Yeah, which is fair. Uh, you know, he's probably, you know, maybe say, uh, gosh, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, Kirk Cousins. You got Jared Goff, Matt Stafford, who's won a Super Bowl. Maybe you want to throw him out there. But, other, I mean, seriously, other than that, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, obviously, Jalen Hurts, Dak was not better than Jalen Hurts this season. I mean, this is a really interesting conference at a really interesting time, which is why you get frustrated with the Cowboys. You know, you got to take advantage of this because at Dude. some point, some of these teams in this conference are going to have these young guys that they're going to draft that, are, that they're going to hit on like we've seen in the AFC. No, that's a great point, man. And I think that that's a great point because I think that's a lot of the frustration, especially when you peel it away like that. Like, 
you know, Dak is supposed to be good enough. Uh, even if you look at his flaws or whatever, he should be good enough to outplay Brock Purdy. You know what I'm saying? And that, I think that's the frustration. Like, if Dak outplays Brock Purdy and they lose, you just go, well, damn. Yeah. But the fact that you don't outplay Brock Purdy and you lose, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, yeah. I mean, I th- and I think that's when people get frustrated, start talking about his money. It's like you're paid to outplay Brock Purdy. All right. Now, maybe you don't outplay Jalen Hurts, who's having a career year and is, you know, second in the MVP voting. This right. is just his year, maybe. Maybe that doesn't happen. But everybody else, man, you're supposed to outplay. And if you, you know, if you outplay them, then we can live with the results. But you didn't outplay them. And so, and, and what I'm saying is it's kind of like Philly. Jalen Hurts played good in the Super Bowl. You lost, so you have disappointment, but you're like, well, damn, I don't really know what else he could have done. We, you yeah. know, we just ran to a hot quarterback that day. We lost. Uh, but if he had played really raggedy, it'd be a different conversation. So I think that's the thing with Dak is, is he didn't outplay Brock Purdy. And so you're like, damn, dog, really? Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I, I would agree. And, and then that's where the frustration comes in when you look at this. Because and, and I know people are going to – the ones that just don't believe in Dak at all are going to sit here and yell and scream that somebody like a Jared Goff is better. I, I, I just would disagree with you. But I think if you just look at the NFC, even then, you're not finding three quarterbacks in the NFC that you would take above Dak Prescott. I just, I just won't buy into that. Now, in the NFL, when you start looking at the AFC, okay, I'm all about that. I, I, there's five quarterbacks in the, in the AFC that I'd take right now ahead of Dak Prescott. But it, that's where this gets interesting, I think, moving into this year, because I don't know that that changes. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers, I mean, all you hear about him is that the Jets really want this dude. And it seems like he wants out of Green Bay. So we'll see where that goes. But it, I think it's interesting when you at least have a known commodity at quarterback that you know what it is. Will the Cowboys do what we've been harping on since the end of the season for the last three weeks of getting him more playmakers and putting guys around him and not subtracting that from this team? No, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's uh, it's what it's all about, man. It's it's the question. Like, I was trying to think, you know, I would make the move if I were the Jets. I mean, I don't know what it costs. Uh, but I would try my best to make the move just because their defense is good. Uh, they show some signs of life. They got a, a, at least one terrific young receiver. Yep. Um. You know, like, all they need is a quarterback. I mean, that's why they drafted Zach Wilson. And so if you could get Aaron Rodgers, you take your first-round pick and add another piece to it, you'd be in a conversation. And, you know, you might get a really good Aaron Rodgers because he might be reinvigorated just in a new spot and, uh, you know, new faces, new uh, freshness to it that's, that's obviously not in Green Bay, which has a staleness to it. Yeah, there, there's no reason not to do it, especially, you know, you look at it from the Green Bay perspective where they may need to go through a rebuild for the next couple of years. And also, you know, is Jordan Love going to be the guy or do you need to go get another quarterback? So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm also going to be curious, and we'll probably chuckle at this because the Cowboys never do this, but I wonder if they'll look at if they'll look at Kansas City, if they'll look at Philadelphia and say, you know what, it, it is okay to sign a free agent or two of a certain value, you know, and you look at Philadelphia who did it with James Bradbury or they did it a couple of years ago with the Javon Hargrave who's been big for them. And is there somebody out there where it's okay to spend a little bit of money on? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying go out and, and do what Jacksonville did last year and sign 800 free agents. 
But right. can, can you identify a guy or two at a certain realm of his career that finally gets to hit the open waters, so to speak, and doesn't like the offer? He thinks he's worth more than what his team is offering him. He's like, look, I want to be free because I want to make a ridiculous amount of money. You know, is there a guy out there that would make sense to go after in free agency? And again, maybe it's just one guy that's not a bargain basement. Oh, let's wait till the second week of free agency. Hey, look, we got James Washington. Is OBJ going to be that guy? Uh, To me personally, I would not think so. But the Cowboys would try to sell it like that. And he he probably would be money-wise more than what you... OBJ doesn't do much for me, and I, I just don't want them to overpay for a guy who would be your third or fourth receiving option. Well, I mean, if, if they sign him, he's got to be like the second guy. I mean, he's got to be like Gallup. He's got to be like Gallup or like 2A and 2B. And then you wonder, can he do that? Uh, from an ego standpoint? Well, from, 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 a, from a production from a physical standpoint. standpoint. From, from an actual, uh, can, like, does he still have it in him to... To put up like a, a Michael Gallup number two type C when healthy, not last year, obviously. Oh, well, he's got to be able to do that, otherwise, you can't sign him. Yeah, that's the thing. And I guess so that they would have full belief that he can do that. I mean, obviously, yeah. the name excites you. I mean, the name, you go, hell yeah. But like we've talked about before with certain guys, it's, it's not necessarily about what's, what they did. I mean, you know. Yeah, it ain't about the name on the back of the jersey. Could, could he even come here? I don't know that he comes here and does the 1100 season that Gallup did in his second year, but could he do the 843 yards at over 14 yards a catch that Gallup did in 2020? Yeah, I think you could. I think you could live with that because I think you would want him and Gallup to both do that. Because if you can do that, then yes, and then yeah, it becomes how much he, does it cost you? Right, and you know, man, I I would say it like this: like I wouldn't even get caught up in in. I mean, you have to have an idea in your head, but I wouldn't even get caught up in stats. I get caught up in impact. Right, yeah. You know, because you can catch 45 passes, but if you're averaging 17 yards a catch, fine, we'll take it. Even if you're averaging 15 yards a catch and you score seven touchdowns, we'll take it. Like, I don't even know what that number is. 45 catches at 16 yards. I don't even know what the number is. But I know that would be some impactful stuff. Um, So as long as he's impactful, you're fine. Because C.D. Lamb's going to do what he's going to do, and you hope that Gallup gets back to being the Gallup that you signed, and this is the year to do it. Um, otherwise, you're like, that was a bad deal. Yeah, and that's where I think like you look at this, and it, that kind of all that whole thing comes into play where you know, I, I just kind of wonder where they finally realize that you don't have to have 17 dudes that are rookies or undrafted free agents and, and, and try to act like that's going to work when you could go out and have somebody that's got some proven production that may cost you a little bit. Now, I don't think they're one player away. I get that. But you, I think that you got, you're going to have to get a little creative other than just hoping that your third-round rookie wide receiver is the impact player that Dak needs. And that maybe, maybe it is an Odell Beckham Jr. But if the function of this offseason is you need more playmakers and offense, then don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money to, to try and secure one or two of those guys. No, they need to overhaul it, man. They need to draft one high first, second round who can come in and that you can realistically expect to be an impact player. And then they need to sign one uh, at a minimum so that you're adding a couple. And then, uh, you know, you need to get, I hate to say it like this, uh, you need to replace Zeke with somebody else who can make it happen. Um, This is supposed to be a really good draft for runners, especially in the third and fourth round. You know, go just 
pick the right one and keep it moving. Yeah, and I mean, and quite honestly, like they don't have to extend CD this year or Diggs, but you know, do you start looking ahead and trying to get one of those guys where you can get them? Like we've seen teams do with these quarterbacks, you extend them after the third year, and then you can spread it out a little bit before that new money really hits you big time. I don't know. We'll see if they can do that. And then, you know, because a CD goes into his fourth season, if you've got an opportunity to do that, then, and maybe you're waiting until after next year, whatever the case may be, you draft the wide receiver maybe in the first round, and you kind of do what the Eagles are doing with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith where you time it out correctly. Well, let's just tackle the biggest question and the most pressing question. What do you do with Trayvon Diggs? Man, that's that's a uh, you want guy. He has shown, if nothing else, he can take the ball away. I, I thought he has shown improvement, but do you want to pay Trayvon Diggs what it costs to have a cornerback at, at that level? Do you believe he is that guy, that elite level cornerback? That's a great question because I don't know because it's about more than interceptions. Like he can't – like I would have to have a frank, no BS conversation with him. Put the tape on there and go, this tackling thing, dude, you know, who's going to pay for this? Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, Nobody's saying you have to uh, lower your shoulder and take on guards and, and do that guy. That's dumb. But you got to try better than this, bro. Uh, you're not Deion Sanders. So, nope. And even Deion tried more than that. Uh, but you, you can't. This is unacceptable, bro. And it happened too many times in too many games. Uh, you know, and so, you know, it would make me reluctant to pay him just yet because I need to see him a year do it. Yeah, and that, that's where all this comes into play because keep in mind, we, we, we didn't want them to sign Byron Jones, who's a very good cornerback, but he didn't take the ball away. Byron Jones right. is making $16.5 million a year. And so for the guys that, if Trayvon and his agent look at it and say, oh, we're Pro Bowl, we're, we're all pro, we led the league in interceptions. And they are. We want Jalen Ramsey, Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander money, which is $20 million plus a year. I mean the That's top probably, five the top five quarter cornerbacks in the in the NFL are all making nineteen and a half or more per year. Right. See, I'm not ready to pay him that yet. And here's why. The tackling's an issue. Even though it's not your primary job, it's an issue, dog. Uh because there's no effort to do it. I mean, you gotta give me some effort. Yeah. And then, um, real talk, man. If you're not going to tackle, if that's what you've decided that you're not going to tackle. Kind of like when I was in high school and my journalism teacher, Judy Babb, the great Judy Babb, said, uh, hey, we got these ads we need you to sell. And I was like, Ms. Babb, I'm not selling any ads. Just mm-hmm. give me the F right now. I'll make it up somewhere else. <laughs> but I'm not knocking on doors selling ads. That's just not what I'm doing. So if you just decide, okay, I'm not tackling. It's not what I do. That's cool. But you dropped a huge interception in each of the last two games you can't do that bro no um you know if you're not going to tackle then every interception potential interception that you get your hands on that's a legitimate opportunity you got to grab no ifs ands buts about it so uh, it's gonna be a tough negotiation because he's got the awards that means he's going to want his 20 million dollars a year right but there's another piece of the game that he's not playing and so um you know, 
I think you just have to have a compromise on that. Yeah, and I don't it's, know that the compromise will come this year. No, and, and that's why, because this window, you know, you look at this, this is going to get very, very interesting here in the next couple of years of how, because CeeDee Lamb, based on what he did last year, if he replicates that, you're pointing at him and going, hey, man, I'm a $25 million a year wide receiver. Diggs can point and go, I'm a $20 million a year cornerback. Micah can sit there and go, uh, hello. I mean, by the end of next year, he may have a defensive player of the year award. I'm one of the top two or three defenders in the game. I want $25 million a year. So that this is going to get you, – you can't have – there's not a team in the NFL that's carrying four $20 million-plus-a-year players, and that's including, obviously, the quarterback who's well above that. No, I mean, that's the – I mean, you know, same thing, make you laugh, make you cry. That's the benefit of drafting really well at a number of different spots. You're getting that production. So you've drafted and developed, but now you got to pay. And uh, there's only so much money. I mean, you can really do it all, but something has to give if you do it all. And so, uh, Trayvon Diggs, very interesting conversation. Michael Gelkin wrote a uh, story in the Dallas Morning News about him. You can read this morning. Uh, but, you know, he more he more laid out a surface case. He didn't really delve into should you or should you not yeah. with any degree of, uh, you know, with any substance behind it. He just kind of laid out the case. But it's a hell of a question, man. And you can, you can, you can make the argument both ways. I would lean toward paying him, and I want to pay him. I just need you to tackle better, bro, and act like you act like you care. Well, I will say this: if you identify it and you say, "Okay, we we've got these twenty million dollar a year guys that are all going to be in this room," to me, Parsons is my number one that I want to make sure never goes anywhere else. And then, would you rather have the wide receiver who you feel like you might be able to replace in the draft or the cornerback? Because I think you would lean cornerback just from a position standpoint. Well, see, that's a great question because, yeah, the position is more valuable corner than receiver, but the receiver is a better player than the corner. Right. And so. you just can't say – I mean, you, you can try to say it, but you just can't say, oh, I'm going to go draft a receiver and I automatically have him locked down for 90 catches and 1,200 yards. You know, it took CeeDee Lamb, you know, three years to mature into that guy. Again – I don't know that you can draft somebody in the first round and be like, okay, you be that guy this, as a rookie, unless it's a top five, top ten pick. Which almost, a, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. you know, Des, Des Bryant took three years before he became, quote, Des Bryant. Yeah, I mean, generally, that, that was always the whole thing, was that third-year breakout that you would look for in wide receivers. Now it's gotten skewed a little bit because of guys like Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, who have shown up as rookies and made this huge impact, but still, I mean, think of all the guys that you see in the draft. I mean, it, it's a different game now, obviously. Like Olave and Wilson, you were talking about him with the Jets. They both had really solid rookie years this year. But generally speaking, you know, there may be one or two guys in any given draft class at wide receiver that, that show up and have that impact, while the other guys can still turn into high-quality receivers. It may just take a couple of seasons. No, you're right about that. But – for the basis of this conversation we had, we ain't got a couple seasons to wait. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's Zach the thing. Martin yeah. is closer to retirement than he is continuing his career. Demarcus Lawrence is closer to retirement than continuing his career. Mm -hmm. Even Dak is probably closer to retirement than than re, re, uh, continuing his career. So the time is now, 
Um, there's not a, I mean, the way the roster's built, you got a lot of good young players, but you got some key dudes that if you're going to take advantage of them, you need to right. win now. It'd be nice. So hopefully they're well of that, aware of that, and they'll get it going, man. So the Cowboys, a lot of offseason questions. We'll continue to tackle those. If you've got car questions, though, we know who can provide you the answers, and that's Freeway Tire Shop. That's where Jacques takes all of his cars. And, you know, we've been telling you about JR and his crew for a long time now, and we continue to tell you about him. He continues to support the podcast. So you guys get over there, support JR. One, not only are you supporting somebody who helps us, you're also going to get blown away by the level of customer service. You're going to a mechanic you can trust stands behind his work, does quality work, offers a fair price. Everything that we all hope anytime we take our car somewhere will be our experience. That is what you will have when you visit Freeway Tire Shop. Dude, JR is the best. You know, the customer service can get overlooked because the other stuff is so great. But, you know, he learned at the Home Depot management program. And he brought all those things he learned over there to his own business. And, dude, the customer service is off the chain, man. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether he's on the premises or off doing something else. It doesn't matter. It's always supreme. Uh, but the reason I ride with JR is you can trust him to diagnose what's wrong with your car. And then, dude, you can trust him to use quality parts to fix your car, which we all know not everybody does. Uh, you can trust him to charge your fair price. And then you can trust him to stand behind his work. And so I... I'll tell you all this all the time, and it's real. It's real talk, which is if your mechanic ain't doing each and every one of those four things, then ride up the street five minutes from downtown, right up 35, get off of Commonwealth, and uh, stay on the service road. He's right on the right as soon as you go through the light. And uh, you can thank us later because JR is uh, fantastic. He is, and you can check him out online if you'd like. You can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote, see what he can do for you at freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, we continue getting to do this because of guys like Aaron over there at HFX Foundation Solutions, who's been a sponsor of ours for a long time. And I know many of you have reached out to Aaron. It's important to do this with your foundations. And HFX Foundation Solutions, they are a full-service foundation repair company. They can do slab. They do pier and beam. They also can handle any drainage issues that you may be having. They do all gutters and installations and things of that nature. So if you are seeing signs that you may have a problem, those signs are sticking doors, cracks in your walls, your ceiling and whatnot, sloped floors, obviously, soil washout. Those could be signs that you've got a foundation issue. Give HFX a call because it's a free, no obligation inspection. And it gives you, if nothing's wrong, you get peace of mind. Or if something may be wrong, you catch it early enough where potentially you could save thousands of dollars in issues down the line. There's a reason why we say, hey, go call Aaron and his team and ask for that colonoscopy for your crib. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. Why do we get colonoscopies, people? To make sure that our internal the stuff that we can't see is working as it should. And that there's no problems that we can't see that might bite us down the road. Ain't no different than your crib. You have Aaron come over, take a look at the internal spot at your crib so that you make sure that everything is working as it should be internally with your house. And then check this out. And there's nothing popping up that will be a problem, not this year, next year, but maybe three or four years from now. They do all of that. They got the technology to do all of that. Uh... You got to take advantage of it. Have the peace of mind that comes from knowing Aaron has checked out your house and the HFX team has deemed it wonderful. 
Exactly. It's easy to do. It's easy to call. 817-770-0174. 817-770-0174. Or you can check them out online if you'd prefer to do that. You can find them at hfxfoundation.com. So this trip around the block, man, there is some wonky things going on around the world. How, do you realize, because it happened again, I think it was yesterday or the day before, we now in the United States have shot down four unidentified flying objects in the last eight days. And now all of a sudden you've got the military admitting that this is probably a lot more common than, than they've been admitting. And the reason why they are starting to see more of these is because ever since the Chinese balloon that we talked about, that was obviously a spy surveillance thing that apparently they now know had equipment to even at that level, try and monitor on ground conversations they shot down something on Friday. Fighter jets were scrambled in waters over Alaska, and they shot down the, an object the size of a small car. Then on Saturday, an American F-22 attacked a cylindrical object over the Yukon Territory in Canada that was smaller than the Chinese surveillance device. And then it was. It was a couple days ago on Sunday. An octagonal structure with strings hanging off of it and no evident payload was hit over Lake Huron up <laughs> in obviously the Michigan area that had at first appeared over Montana days before. But now what I'm because I'm like, well, what the hell? Like, why all of a sudden out of the blue are all these UFOs being shot down? So apparently they have honed radar since the Chinese balloon thing. Because they, one, the, the, the Chinese balloon was flying at 60,000 feet where passenger planes don't fly at. The other three they thought were a danger to passenger airplanes because they were in that range of where passenger airplanes fly at. So they have started to hone their radars to be able to pick up smaller, slower moving objects because before they had it for bigger or faster moving objects like an airplane or a missile or something of that nature. And so they can hone their radars in all these different ways. The problem is becoming is now weather experts are all going like, well, hold on a second. And I would not have known this. Apparently, at any given time, there are thousands of balloons floating over America. <laughs> As a matter yeah, of fact, weather data. Yes. The National Weather Service launches anywhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of 60,000 balloons a year. Wow. And so, yes, those balloons are designed to go a little bit higher. They're supposed to go up into the stratosphere, and they read all kinds of weather data and ozone data and stuff like that. But even the weather service is kind of like, look, I mean, yes, they're designed apparently to burst when they get to a certain height, and they're no longer usable, and they disintegrate, basically. But that doesn't always happen. And so now I'm sitting here going, okay, so are we just going, is this going to be a thing now where we just scramble F-22s and shoot a $400,000 missile at a weather balloon? Jeez, but this is really random, man. And so now they're trying to figure out a better way to do this because I was reading a couple of things where they go, look, we, we can't have these hundred million dollar jets zipping around airspace, firing $400,000 missiles at weather balloons, <laughs> essentially. But again, Dude, sometimes no, they don't know well, what it you, is. I was going to say, how do you differentiate? Maybe the weather balloons need to have something on it that says WB or there needs to be some weather balloon logo on it. And, you know, I need to see what a, I'm going to Google it. I see what a weather balloon actually looks like. Yeah, weather. I mean, they're massive. They're massive. These huge structures. Like, you know, I'm thinking a balloon that you see at a kid's party. 
No, no, no. These are these are like hot. Well, not hot air balloon size, but kind of. Some of them are very big, and then some of them are just designed to be able to take those the equipment that they are carrying on these strings and whatnot as high as possible. And they read this data that's reported. And the weather service even says, look, we have so many balloons up there. They help planes. They help us to be able to relay information to planes. They help us understand weather, like probable weather that like, that's how they forecast weather. Like we're reading these changes in the upper, upper atmosphere that eventually are going to happen down lower and this is where we can predict like oh this storm is blue and this is what we're seeing that's going to cause this reaction that's going to happen in seven days so it's got a five foot balloon hydrogen or helium then it's got a parachute attached to it then it's yeah. got a uh, weather instrument attached to that All so right. and then the whole other thing of it is and this is what i mean this is like a whole thing that we are now learning about or at least they're making public you know what i just you know what i just thought of bro hmm there's some dude named Mortimer, whatever his name is, Mortimer Wilbekaki. And he's worth about, I'm making this up, Mortimer Wilbekaki. And he's worth about $20 billion because his company produces weather balloons. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> There's somebody living in a mansion the size of uh, Rhode Island because his company or yep. her company manufactures weather balloons you are exactly right man unbelievable it is but that's the way that it works <laughs> and apparently like some of these balloons like i was reading an article about this earlier where some people say yeah this is a thing nobody ever talks about it but not all of these weather balloons burst or disintegrate and they wind up in the oceans or they wind up on beaches and people will come across them and there's just, it's just trash essentially well that's what i figured which is kind of wild so I don't know what they're going to do, and, and it'll be interesting to see how they decide to move forward with this. And, you know, obviously Beijing continues to say that the Chinese thing was just a weather balloon and it wasn't really a spy thing. And, and we're saying that it was a spy thing. Come on, what are you doing? It obviously was. So I don't know, man, like this whole but everybody thing. everybody spies. I mean, we're spying. Of course we are. But I we mean, never we think are. about this. Like, we never think, like... Yeah, you, think, you might think about this once or twice a day when you hear a plane and you look up and you're like, oh, of course there's planes in the sky. But you don't think about the thousands and thousands of planes that are zipping across the United States at any given time or the thousands and thousands of satellites or weather balloons or whatever, all the stuff that's way above us that we just can't see. You know? I mean, I think about that. Like, I remember on a clear day when you can see the vapor trails on planes, we were driving somewhere yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, God, look at that. Like, isn't that weird? There's four planes right there, and they look like they're all right next to each other, but they're obviously probably miles and miles apart at different altitudes. No, that's a trip when you think about it. It is, man. I mean, that's like if you ever look at radars of how many planes are in the sky right now, like they, they generally estimate that anywhere in the neighborhood of 8,000 planes at a time are in the air. Wow. Think about that. 8,000, and sometimes it's more and sometimes it's less, but generally speaking. Damn, that seems like a whole lot of them, bro. Sometimes wow. there's more than that. I mean, there, there could be 10,000 planes in the sky at any given moment. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And that's just like, that's in like the United States. Over like the, the, let's just call it the 48 continental United States, the contiguous states here that we have. And you look up and, and I mean, how many might you see? You might see two, three. What about the other 7,997 planes? <laughs> Dude, I never thought about it like that. It's so crazy. 
It's always so wild. And, you know, like if you if you live anywhere near DFW Airport, like we used to in Irving or Love Field, I mean, there's like when we lived in over by DFW, if the wind was blowing a certain way, our backyard was in the flight path and we'd see them landing and there's a plane coming in literally probably every four minutes. And you're just like, my God, there's a lot of planes up in the sky. Dude, and there's not a lot of, uh, knock on wood, uh, crashes. Yeah, it never happens anymore. And then, of course, did you see the news where they found that in December, like two months ago, that uh, apparently a flight that had taken off from Maui, a United Airlines flight, had some sort of something go wrong. And it at 2,200 feet after takeoff, it just went into a plunge. And it came within 775 feet of smashing into the ocean before the pilots were able to correct it and get out of that. I'm, you know, I don't know how you don't have a heart attack while you're doing it. No, they said, like, nobody knew that this was a thing. It's just now coming to light because the pilots filed a report and apparently somebody discovered it. And now I I was reading an article earlier of somebody who was on the flight going, yeah, we were looking at each other going, well, I guess this is it. We're trying not to panic going, obviously, this isn't normal, but you're in a nosedive. And now they're learning that, oh, yeah, you were that close. You're probably about five seconds away from hitting the ocean water. Jeez. Traveling at 891 feet per second. Well, I'm, I'm surprised that nobody put it on Twitter, TikTok. That's what I thought. Facebook, Instagram. And so now, obviously, the pilots file a report, and, and it's all about, okay, did you need extra training? Did something go wrong? Is this, you know, they, they research it into air, uh, all that type of stuff. But, I mean, reality of it is, is that regardless of anything, flying has become so ridiculously safe. It's by far the safest mode of transportation, by far. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Like I said, we barely hear of any uh, commercial air, airplane crashes. And so, yeah, you should feel very comfortable getting in a plane. And the technology, I mean, you hate to say this, but it's, it's like anything else in life. All of those who unfortunately were involved in crashes throughout the course of aviation history, they learned every time something went wrong. And, and now they have the technology where none of that happens anymore. And they know, oh, well, this happened because of this. So we now correct it to this. And that's... I mean, barring, you know, something like in an air-to-ground missile or something, planes, it, it's almost impossible for anything to happen anymore. Or like the new technology, obviously, of like the Airbuses, and you can read about that with Boeing and all that. Not Airbus, sorry, but the Boeing, the Max, the 737 Maxes, you know, where right. it was a training issue where Boeing tried to cut corners. You know, barring oh, something like yeah. that happened, planes are insanely safe. You can't be cutting corners on something like that. No, you can't. You can't. So the other thing... And this is kind of cool for those of you that live more in the Fort Worth side of town. Mansfield apparently has approved a $70 million project that will bring in more than 2,000 jobs to the fastest growing city in the Arlington area. It is a film studio. And they have been working with something called Super Studios Mansfield on a mixed-use development in which it would allow them to build in the first phase would be a soundstage cluster that will host the film industry for medium to large scale productions, productions that would take anywhere from six months to one year. And these studios are expected to help fill the need for content for services like Disney plus Hulu and Netflix. And they'll be right there in Mansfield. Once these massive studios get built. (laughs) Damn. So they'll be, you know, maybe the next Gray Man movie will be filmed in Mansfield. Who knows? 
You know, bro, I guess that's why uh, Dallas metropolitan area continues to grow. Yeah, and it's weird because they have those sound stages there in Las Colinas. And I remember when I was a kid, well, a kid, I, well, I was a kid. I was in high school. Yeah, and we used to be the shit. Yeah, when we were in theater in high school, we had a field trip over there every year. And we learned, like, about the Foley artists and how they created sound and some of the fake makeup and stuff and how they made fake blood and all this. You know, and they filmed a couple of of movies there, like Meryl Streep and Silkwood from the 80s was filmed there. Part of La Bamba with Richie Valens was filmed there. And there was some other stuff over the years that has been filmed at those sound stages in Las Colinas. And now you don't hear about any, like, I don't even know. I'm sure they use them for stuff, but I don't know what they are. Like, you never hear about anything being filmed over there anymore. No, no, I can't say that you have. Uh, I can't even remember the last time I heard anything. Seems like they just disappeared, but, you know, maybe maybe it was just that time. Because uh, I was thinking about, it, like, Las Colinas was jumping for 20 years. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, they tried to, to re to jump start it again with the uh, with all the music stuff that they built over there by the city of Irving, right? Um, and that whole complex, but I don't know if it'll ever recapture what it was when Valley Ranch was over there and the Cowboys were kind of the epicenter and you know like you know the, the theaters. Were, I mean, it was just jumping. It was the place to be. Yeah, now there's a lot of tech stuff over there, and and look like a lot of people live in Las Colinas, and now they've got the. The Toyota Music Factory, which is a huge attraction yeah, over there. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, and all those restaurants and everything. But it is kind of wild because I don't know how many people realize that there are these, I mean, there are major films, like major national-level dis- distribution in thousands of movie theaters across the country that were filmed in Las Colinas. And, you know, I think, like, over the years, like, Prison Break was filmed over there that was on Fox and... They they what filmed there, yeah, and and Walker Texas Ranger obviously used it when at times when they needed it, but it's interesting because I don't know, and I'm sure something's got to be doing. They got to be using it for something, but I don't know what it would be anymore. I haven't heard about, and when I used to live over there, I never heard about anything being around there. No, I haven't heard of anything lately. So, yeah. but you never know. I mean, it's one of those things like all movies at some point use a soundstage. You know, like the whole movie, generally speaking, isn't filmed in a soundstage. You got to do some on-location stuff. And then right. you go in and you have soundstage for like interior shots, generally speaking, just because it's easy to, to do that type of thing. So I don't know how many times you would hear about a movie because you hear about stuff that films around Dallas. And you're like, oh, whoa, I saw them film. You know, they had this street shut down over there and they were filming. Well, you know, maybe they, they go over to Las Colinas and use the soundstage for a day to do some interior shooting. Who knows? And we just don't hear about it. Uh, I bet that happens fairly frequently. I do know, like where I live in Birmingham, they have a Morgan Freeman movie that will be shooting here this spring and summer. Really? I know. And I was like, Freeman movie. I was like, damn, am I going to see, am I going to see red from Shawshank? I'll be like, Hey, I heard you got out. (laughs) I guess I just miss my friend. I guess I just miss my friend. God, you sound like if if Red had had a baby with Forrest Gump. <laughs> okay, let me try. I guess I just miss my friend. That's even better. <laughs> is life like a box of chocolates? Life is like a box of chocolates. God. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wild, man. Did you know... So we were talking about this movie yesterday. They're going to be shooting around the Birmingham area. Everybody knows Morgan Freeman. And then I thought they were saying it wrong. Luke Hemsworth is in it. And I was like, do they mean Liam Hemsworth? 
Apparently, there's a third Hemsworth brother. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody's familiar with him. You know, Chris Hemsworth obviously plays Thor. And Liam Hemsworth has been in a ton of stuff and was married to Miley Cyrus. Luke Hemsworth played, I guess he was in a couple of the Thor movies where he played like me, like a different version of Thor, but it was Chris Hemsworth's brother. I was like, man, I didn't know there was a third one. No, no, I, clearly I didn't know either. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's the one that's going to be here in Birmingham filming. I was like, oh, okay, well, good for him. Yeah, I'm always uh, about new talent, man. As long as they can handle the job. Yeah, we'll see what happens, but man. Speaking of that, let me ask you about this as it relates to movies. What do you think about this uh, thing AMC is rolling out where, uh, depending on your seat, they're kind of changing the prices? Ridiculous. I think it's going to hurt more than it'll ever do anything to help them. Well, let me ask you this. We do that at everything else. I mean, if if you want courtside seats at the Mavericks, they cost a lot more than the bleachers. That's true. Uh, If you want, or a better example is, if you want to go to a concert... Like Springsteen was in Dallas the other day. Depending on where you sit, that depends on how much it costs. Now, that's my devil's advocate conversation. But, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, even airlines now is like that. You know, if you want to sit in these seats, it costs more than if you want to sit in those seats. So to me, it seems like it's just the nature of the beast. I think that they have a bigger industry-wide issue i I was reading something on this and it it was like amc lost six and a half million or billion one of the two yeah it's a big number either way so obviously they're trying to trying to find revenue that's why their water is five and a half dollars a bottle yep and the popcorn is 10 bucks but i think in this respect all you're doing is driving people away (laughs) i agree and you know this is one of those things where movie prices have been rising so so much that really for me if you wanted to go to movies and you are a movie watcher i think unless it's like top gun maverick or something where you're like man i really need to see this in the theaters we watch most movies at home and we've kind of talked about this before like to me i i wonder if they're just trying to drive more people to that amc monthly thing where you pay 20 bucks a month and you can go see literally for 20 bucks a month if you so chose you could see 12 movies a month because you, right, right, you're allowed right. to go watch three a week. And I wonder if they're, if they're hoping more people will do that membership thing in the AMC A-list or whatever they call it. And it's almost like a gym membership at some degree where people get all excited about it. Like, hey, we like to watch movies. Let's go. And you, you see this with gyms all the time. People go and sign up for their gym membership early in the year. And then they forget to cancel it. They don't go as much. And the gym is making all this money off people who use the gym like once a month. Yeah, that's why they that's why they also try to make it incredibly difficult for you to right. cancel your membership. Yeah. You know, you gotta send a letter to corporate. <laughs> like who Yeah, it's so that? ridiculous. Like I remember, you know, I had an LA fitness membership in Dallas. Well, guess what? LA fitness doesn't exist in Alabama. So when right. I went through it, they're like, Well, why do you want to cancel? It's like I'm moving to a state where you don't exist. Well, what state is it? Alabama. They're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, Yeah, so why would I keep well, do you ever visit back like what are we talking about here? I'm not going, I don't want a membership to a gym that does not exist within a, how, what, a 400 mile radius of me? Yeah. And I get emails from them all the time. Come back. I'm like, and do what? Are you going to fly me to the gym? <laughs> Even if they did, you would want, you would not want to go. It's ridiculous, man. And you know, there, there are certain things that is interesting like that. Like I had a thing, I had to make a deposit cause I, I still, you know, I use bank of America cause that's what I had in Texas. 
Well, there right. isn't a Bank of America within like uh, I, I don't think there's one within 90 miles of me. They're, they do exist in like an ATM at least exists in Alabama, just not in the Birmingham area. Right. So I call this dude at Bank of America the other day and as I came in, is there a way to do this? And he was like, oh, yeah, we'll just go to a, you should have an ATM in your area. I was like, I don't. He goes, oh, well, uh, you should. Let me check on that. And he goes, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I've never seen this before. <laughs> he goes, uh, apparently you're a one-off. He goes, well, thanks for keeping us as your bank. And I was like, yeah, dude, it's just like most of the time, it's just easier because I don't want to switch all my crap. Right, right, right. But there are times where I'm like, well, this sucks because I need to go, like, I can't go to an actual bank unless I drive to Georgia, which is actually probably the closest one. I was like, I don't want to drive to another state. That's a pain in the ass right there. But it's stuff like that, you know, when... Whenever you move to different states, especially when they're not right next to each other, you have to adjust. And there are certain things in some states that are very prominent that in other states don't exist. And, and you just kind of have to figure that out. But, you know, the movie thing, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see, will people accept paying a premium to sit in the middle? Or will it have people like me going, well, I'm not going to pay this much to go to the theater. Let's just wait four months. It'll be out and we'll watch it on our big screen television at home. Yeah, that's pretty much me. That's kind of, yeah. I'm like that way. I was already that way. This is only going to make me more that way, I feel like. Yeah, because, you know, the thing about it is everybody's home theater is so good in general. Yeah. That, you know, uh, but it could just be older people like me. Like young people might be like, oh, yeah, I went and spent, I took my girl to the movies and we spent $100 and it was fine. Yeah, and, and I, I guess maybe there's something to that. And I wonder, like, if new generations who, and you always wonder this, like, as generations go by, the people today that had no idea that you could go to a movie, and, and I'm sure, like, there's older people now, they're like, well, I paid a quarter to go to the movie. I would never have paid $5. You know, maybe there's that. Right. But even then, like, even when you factor in inflation to me with, and it goes back to your point of the home theater setup, even when you could go in the late 90s or the early aughts and you could go to a matinee for like three bucks or, or four bucks, you didn't have a better option at home. So like on a Friday night, if especially when I was younger, that's what we did in high school. You know, hey, you'd ask the girl, you want to go to the movies and you could still go to a movie and it would cost you less than $15 total, but there wasn't a better option. Now right. I feel like there's a better option where you could say, hey, why don't you come over? A lot of people have movie rooms in their house. And, you know, like, Correct. hey, my, my parents said that we could watch a movie in our movie room tonight. Do you want to come over and watch that? And it's a better benefit than, hey, let's meet at the theater and I'll pay $45 for us to go watch this movie. True. Very true. So you have that. So before we get into this conversation, as we move forth, little Dallas Mavericks top to wrap you up with. But Smokey John's Barbecue, my friend, I hope that you guys have had a chance to check out the Jam Session Bowl. We've been telling you guys about that for a while now. They created a menu item only available to Jam Session listeners. And as we've had some people that have reached out, and I know you've experienced this, there are times where you'll go in there and order the Jam Session Bowl, and there's somebody that doesn't listen to the podcast. Like, what are you? T- what is that? Like, where did you get that? You're like, oh, you got to listen to no. Sucks for you. <laughs> now, you probably tell them, oh, it's the Jam Session Bowl. And it's fantastic, and it's awesome that they did that for us. Well, yeah, that's after I tell them it sucks for you. Um <laughs> They're like, thanks, guys. No, nah, man. The Jam Session Bowl is sensational, man. Actually, I need to ask them one day how they came up and created it. I don't know how they got the idea for that, to mix all that stuff together. But what it is, it's 
either a mac and cheese base or a macaroni, I mean, or a mashed potatoes base. And then your choice of two out of five smoked meats, man. I just go with the brisket and the sausage. The chicken is also very good if you throw that in there. But uh, after that, bro, they put all the stuff that you find on the loaded baked potato, you know, chives and bacon, sour cream, butter. It's just fantastic. And then they drizzle it with that delicious, sensational uh, barbecue sauce. And, it, dude, it's, uh, it's to live for. Uh, and it's a bunch of food. Two people can eat out of it. Two people and a kid, if it's, you know, six or seven, uh, they can eat out of it. you got leftovers. It, it's, it's a lot of food, man. But it is sensational. Yes, it is. So if you haven't somehow tried it yet, you need to get over there. Smokey John's Barbecue. They're on Mockingbird right there in between Love Field and 35. And check out the Jam Session Bowl. And bring a friend and you can share it. Or, or bring the family and you can try a couple of different things. Because you'll, you, you cannot go wrong. It's local. It's family owned. They do so much for the community. These are great people, man. But the barbecue is damn good as well, which is fantastic. So check them out. It's Smokey John's Barbecue right there in Dallas. The Dallas Mavericks, this is going to be interesting. You saw a great example of this, I think, in the last couple of games. So Luka and Kyrie now have played two games together, and the Mavs are 0-2. They had a chance to beat the Kings the other night when Luka finally played, and he even admitted he took a contested three that he should have given up and given off to Kyrie. And then, of course, last night on Monday night, the Mavs lost to Minnesota in a game in which they were down by 24 at one point. And they tried to make some adjustments. Jason Kidd actually takes Luka off the floor and lets Kyrie do some of the heavy lifting. He goes bonkers, puts up 24 of his 36 points late in the game. The Mavs chisel their way back into it. Then they put Luka back into it and almost make up the entire deficit, end up losing by three. But you look at this. So last night against Minnesota, Kyrie had 36 with five rebounds, six assists. Luka had 33. 12 rebounds, six assists. And then Christian Wood comes off the bench for 24. And you can see they're, they're figuring it out. And, and obviously, one thing that Luca has to get used to is the idea that, oh, I finally have somebody else that I can give the ball up to, and they're, they're going to be able to create a quality opportunity. Dude, I think, that's what, I think that's exactly what he was talking about in the game against Sacramento, mm-hmm. which is he's used to having to take the uncontested three. His natural thought process is, oh, I need to take this contested three. I mean, this contested three because nobody else here is capable of doing it. And so just muscle memory and habit is why he took it. And then after he took it, he's like, damn, I forgot we traded for Kyrie. I could have just given the ball back to him. Kyrie had an open jumper or or could have driven it and scored a bucket. And so uh, I think when they made the trade, we said it'll take a minute for it to work. Um, I think I remember saying that uh, when when the Heat added LeBron James, they started their season like nine and eight with Dwayne Wade and LeBron James because they couldn't figure out who's taking the shot at the end and they didn't want to take my turn, your turn. It has to be a flow and organic nature the way you play. Mm-hmm. It just takes time to figure it out, man. And there's you can't rush it. It's just time. Yeah, and that's the thing is, and I think they will figure it out. And it's going to be really interesting because, I mean, we are talking about an extraordinarily short sample size of barely a week in Dallas. But Kyrie, for a week, has been on his best behavior. He is saying all the right things. He seems happy. He seems like he appreciates the appreciation that he's been getting. We'll see how long that lasts. There's no way to know. Maybe this is just the right area for him to be in. I mean, he talked about how he felt underappreciated and nobody wanted him in Brooklyn and all that type of thing. 
Everybody here wants him as a basketball player. Everybody wants to see what he can do with Luka. He got a standing ovation when he came out for warm-ups last night and his first game as, as a Mav. You know, those types of things, how long will that appease him? We have no idea. But there's only 23 games left in the season, regular season. They're fifth in the West. They're four and a half behind Memphis for the two seed, two and a half behind Sacramento for the three seed. So we'll see. Again, as you mentioned, it's kind of like what Phoenix, Phoenix is going to have to figure out KD and how do you rotate this guy in and what does it look like and how does the game flow? Really, you, you hope that you can at least get into the top four and maybe you can pass Phoenix or maybe you can pass Sacramento to get the three or the four seed so you get a home series on your court to open the playoffs. But the real hope is that you figure it out over the next 20 games or so so that when you hit the playoffs, you guys are hitting your stride and all of a sudden teams like, oh, shit, the Mavs figured out how to use these guys. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you're hoping. In a lot of cases, teams make so many deals, it's about whose group figures it out first because yeah. then you can start your run. Um, and, you know, all you can do is play. It's like I said, you can't rush it. It takes time to get a rhythm and a, and a feel for how the other person is talking. In, in a way, no, not any different than uh, when we first started a radio show on uh, ESPN. It just takes time to get a feel for how you like to do it, how, you like, how the other guy likes to come in, how the other guy works better, how, depending on how you set him up, all that kind of stuff, man. Yeah, and it's, I mean, keep in mind, because they're about to go into the All-Star break, they play on Wednesday night, they're in Denver, and then after that, they don't play again for over a week, as the NBA All-Star weekend is upcoming. They'll play on the 15th, and they don't play again until the 23rd, so an eight-day break. Obviously, Kyrie and Luca are going to the All-Star game, and then after the All-Star break, it's expected they're going to get Maxi Kleba back, and while not a massive impact, that is a type of guy that you would look at as almost like an, a, a free trade because he hasn't played in, in, man, he hasn't played in like two months or something with that torn hamstring. He should help them defensively. And he adds, you know, a little bit, not that he does a lot offensively, but, but still another piece that is a regular piece that you use and you get him back into the fold and you figure out how all this works together. And, and they've got a decent, you know, you look at what they have coming out of the all-star break. They've got a huge homestand where they'll be at home for six consecutive games to close out February and open up March, they get the Spurs, the Lakers, the Pacers right in a row. And then after that, man, you get the 76ers, the Suns, and the Jazz. So you got a couple of games after the All-Star break to kind of get into a rhythm, and and at least you're at home for six in a row, which I think is a real benefit as this team tries to meld and and figure itself out. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the schedule is the schedule. Uh, The time is the time. And there's, you know, it, there's nothing that replic that that takes away from the time on task, man. And so as they as as they run into a little bit of a softer spot or a little more of a difficult spot, depending on how they're playing and how you read it, I think the thing that the Mavericks can do is we spend so much time, as we should, talking about Luca, talking about Kyrie. Can the mother cats step up and become, you know, a little better versions of themselves? Yeah so that those guys don't have to come out there and combine for 70 points every night. Can the other guys, you know, just just be a consistent role player? Now, here I am talking about role player consistency, but, yeah, Tim Hardaway Jr., you got to play better, bro. Yeah, no I think doubt. Christ, I think Christian Wood is fine. Yeah. I think he's a good player. Yeah. But Tim Hardaway Jr., man, come on, dog. You play like crap most of the year. 
he's a good dude, but I mean, you you can pay twenty million dollars a year somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, and he hadn't come anywhere close, anywhere close to performing like he should. You know, Max Kleber's been hurt. Okay, you know, you ain't been there, but you ain't been there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they're doing some good things with Josh Green and Jalen Hardy. Uh, I like that, um, especially Josh Green. I'm going to take a quick exit ramp. You know, when Jason Kidd says before the season, I'm going to go get Josh Reed paid, Josh Green paid, because he can do all these things. And we're going to help him do that and accentuate him and, and turn him into a guy who, who gets a big paycheck. You're just like, and then you see the way J- Jalen Brunson developed under him. And you see the way all these young guys over the years were stagnated by Rick Carlisle. Yeah. And it just makes me go, and I like Carlisle. I thought Carlisle was a terrific coach. But it's just like, you just wonder if so many of these young guys could have had a different coach if they could have had a different experience. Because no Josh, doubt, Green, yeah. Josh Green under Rick Carlisle's bust. He's he's let go. Uh, he never developed into what we thought he was. Uh, and under Jace, Jason Kidd, he's about to become a star. That's very true, man. Like, you wonder looking back, like, if, in again, Luca coming Smith in. Jr. Yeah. Yeah. But that's who I was going to bring up with a guy like Jason Kidd who sees the floor in a completely different way, obviously, it, if, if it would have worked better for Dennis Smith Jr. And maybe not because it's not like he moved on and did anything with anywhere else he's ever been. I don't even know if he's nah, still in the some, league, honestly. Nah, <laughs> but sometimes you get so destroyed from your first experience, you can never, or your confidence is so shot, you can never become what you were, what you were going to be. Fast forward or take another look at mm-hmm. Zach Wilson. Now, maybe he'd have been a bust for every team that drafted him. But his experience was so bad in with the Jets. Yeah. Who's going to be shocked if he never does anything? That's uh, true. You know, what about your boy Carr down in Houston? Yeah, Derek his Carr. His experience was so bad. David Carr. David Carr. David Carr. His experience was so bad that he never did anything anywhere else because that one experience was just so bad he could just never overcome it. Or his confidence was so shot after that. Yeah. Um, that he could just never become the player we thought he would be. And so as I look at the Mavericks and I look at – I look at the way they're bringing along Hardy. Like, that dude can play. Anybody who can fill it up like that mm-hmm. can play for a long time because it's hard to get buckets in the NBA. And this dude is doing it at 20. And he's already had a couple 27-point games, which is insane. But you're like, all right. Jason Kidd has, seems to have a touch for developing guys uh, who have that kind of talent. Which is good news when you've got two anchors who I just saw Coop put this up, Chuck Cooperstein on Twitter. Kyrie and Luca, that's the first time in the NBA this year that both members of a starting backcourt recorded a 35 5 line. It's also the first time in Dallas Mavericks history that that has ever happened. Right, right, right. So that goes to show you a little something. And, you know, it's wild. Dennis Smith Jr. apparently still is in the league. He is now in, what is this, season eight. In his eighth season, he is with his fifth team. He went from Dallas to the Knicks. We all knew that. After the Knicks, the last three seasons, he did a year in Detroit, a year in Portland, and this year he is with the Charlotte Hornets. Right, because he has talent. Everybody's trying to tap into it, but nobody can you know, figure out how to just quite get it out of him. Yeah, apparently not, so he bounced around. And then, you know, it's interesting. When you look at the Mavs' schedule – I didn't realize how big a deal that six-game homestand after the All-Star break is. 
After that, well, yeah, bro. they will have 15 games left. Ten of their final 15 games are on the road. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to make hay during this during the six-game homestand. That's when, uh, you know, you should be able to get some practice time with Luka and Kyrie. Yeah. Um, some of the other guys be back. And it, it's time to get ready for the stretch run. And we've, I was looking at this, in this because I'm asking a trivia question when I host trivia this week. I'm asking this trivia question. Who has the longest playoff drought in the NBA? Is it Sacramento? It is. It's not even close. Sacramento, who currently is the three seed in the Western Conference, has a 17-year playoff drought. They have not made the playoffs. You got to go all the way back to the 2006 season, the last time the Kings made the playoffs. They haven't won a playoff series since they beat the Mavs in 2003. Mm-hmm. And somehow that franchise is the three seed. That's how come that's such a surprise when you see Sacramento's the three seed. And yeah, they've got, look, with De'Aaron Fox and those guys, and you look at some of the pieces they have on that team that are finally getting to the A. And obviously Harrison Barnes, who's still there and is a big part of what they do, Sabonis and Keegan Murray and those guys, but Malik Monk, who they drafted. But some of those guys finally are turning out. It's led by De'Aaron Fox. And they've got, I mean, they've got a nice core of guys who are 23, 24, 25, 26, like in those mid-20s, led by the the wily veteran. Harrison Barnes is the oldest player on their team, and he's 30. That seems like that dude's been in the league like 20 years. Yeah, doesn't it, dude? Isn't that nuts? And he's just 30. So he can play another eight years if he wants to. I mean, that's pretty wild, man. I mean, and, and so that's where Sacramento, finally, that core is coming alive a little bit for them, which is crazy. I mean, 17 years without a playoff experience, uh, appearance, and the next, the next longest drought in the NBA is Charlotte at six. Wow. So it's kind of cool. Good for Sacramento because it looks like they actually are going to make the playoffs this year. We'll see. I'm happy. I'm happy for them. I used to be a big fan of the black and purple. They were cool because they were so random. You never thought about Sacramento, but that city seemed to just go bonkers for that basketball team when they were good in the early odds. And that was always a tough place to play. I mean, you had you knew it was going to be tough when you went into Sacramento, and you look back at some of those teams they had, and they never could get over the hump. Never. Great, but not great enough. Yeah. So there's that. And that, my friends, is this version of the Jam Session podcast. We'll be back at it for you on Friday. I hope everybody has a wonderful week. Enjoy yourselves. And we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.